If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me tell Hey everyone, you welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And what do you know, we're back, and of course today... Felt like we had to come back, especially with trade deadline day as it came and it went. And of course, who else other to have on other than Andrew Ramondi? So, Andrew, thanks for joining me. Um, it's been a while since our probably our preview podcast, and I'm not exactly sure how much NBA we've been watching with everything else going on with like all the all the football going on. I've been super into Premier League soccer. But, um, yeah, I feel like we always get together when trades end up happening and a couple big ones happened, especially for uh, my team here. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been watching some some NBA, not as much of my team as we can get to at the end. But uh, I moved a couple months ago and our house has uh, we all chip in for league pass. So I watch a couple random games night tonight. You know, it is. there is a question of, like, what even is this podcast at this point? But I think, you know, the trade deadline is a good time to talk about stuff because, I mean, the NBA, the stuff that we find ourselves getting excited about or, like, I certainly find, like, I've been getting more texts than usual from my friends and stuff. Transactions are kind of, I feel like, until after the All-Star break, right? Like, that's what sort of drives the league so that I don't really I think that talking about it you know talking about the trade deadline makes makes sense for us so especially given you know what's happened uh yeah if you want to say exactly. what happened yeah I feel like we've been teasing like what's happening but probably the biggest trade in I don't know since the Nets traded for James Harden um Kevin Durant is on the move. He got traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns. Um, him alongside TJ Warren for uh, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, four first-round picks, a pick swap. All those picks, uh, first-round picks are unprotected. Um, I don't know. What do you make of this trade? I like we we had our I kind of want to. I kind of want to. Yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Sorry. Yeah, we had, we kind of had our text back and forth, and I kind of displayed my um, – I don't know if it's – I don't know if anger is the right word, but disappointment might be the, the word uh, summing yeah. up this whole – I don't even know if you want to call it era, but the yeah. three-ish years with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, who ended up getting traded earlier this week – um, to the Dallas Mavericks and James Harden, who got traded last year, I saw like some crazy stat that they had only played 16 games collectively together. Um, so I don't even know what you want to call it. It's just real. It, it feels almost like a a 2K team where you you're like, all right, I like getting these players together. Uh, I'm kind of yeah. bored of playing with them now. Let's try try to trade them. Or and, you know, you sim, you sim like if, like that classic 2K GM thing where like 
you you think you've like finally built the team and then you start simming and you're like oh this team actually isn't that good so let me just like trade everyone and try and get some draft picks and like see if one of these computer generated rookies can pop off that's that's kind of how how i see how i would extend that analogy but honestly i think there's a time and a place for my takes and i will give them certainly because i think a lot of my role over the years with this net stuff as you've kind of done for me in the blazer stuff is sort of to try and not necessarily be the voice of reason but sort of like emotionally ground a little bit or like maybe look on the bright side especially when it comes to some of these front office moves that I think over time I don't want to jump ahead because that's but this sort of Mark's tenure is now a fascinating thing to step back and analyze and be like how much of this is his fault slash how much has he been hamstrung by you know, at the whims of sort of what other, what players have kind of dictated. But, but before we even do all that, I kind of wanted to like really toss it back to you and like ask you, because I also want to tie in the, I don't want to like, we don't have to talk about the Kyrie trade in like immense detail because we'll just be here forever. But Really, I more wanted to kind of throw it back to you and, like, as far back or as recent as you want to go, like, how did we get here in your view? You know what I mean? Like, what are the couple signposts you would you would point out? To like, <laughs> or, like, once you finally woke up this morning and saw this, this, like, tweet, you mentioned kind of the hardened trade in the first place, but, like, Let's go back, like, let's not go all the way back to, like, you know, necessarily the, them, KD and Kyrie first coming back together. But, like, kind of like when you look back on this, on the whole, I, before we get to whether or not you kind of wanted this to happen, which, spoiler alert, you didn't, like, how do you now, as this has all sunk in, like, kind of, look back on how we got here and maybe we can start sort of doling out some responsibility as well. Yeah. I mean, I think you gave me like a great framework to go off of in terms of like making sure keeping me, keeping me in check and not rambling forever. But I feel like it kind of, it, it, once you had all three of these players uh, talking about James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and then Kevin Durant, all together, I just thought, okay, like, let's see how this works. And then, yeah. and then once, once they made that playoff run um, and they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in 2021, um, when Ka- uh, Kevin Durant's foot was on the line and basically ended up losing because uh, James Harden was playing off of a bad hamstring. Kyrie was out. So it like started from that and I just thought, okay, they're going to just give this, this core a couple more shots and it never came to fruition. And, and then once James Harden put in his trade request last year around the, around the trade deadline period, and he got traded to Philly for Ben Simmons and then a couple other pieces, I just started thinking like, okay, what is the point of all of this now? 
the point and, and the point of it was we kind of saw glimpses of what it could be this year in terms of yeah there's some fun exciting pieces like Yuta Watanabe, GW alum, that was exciting to root for. But then also, they were going on a hot streak this year, and it looked like, oh, okay, this is a team that could potentially contend in the East, and they were contending in the East. Up, They were probably in second for a good period before Kevin Durant was out with his MCL injury, um, and he's still currently out with that. And then all these dominoes started falling with, especially with, you know, the unevenness of Kyrie and what he's kind of brought to this team of, is he fully committed? Is he in, is he out? Does he want, does he want to get traded? And eventually I feel like Nets management and ownership was fed up with it, especially after this last trade demand by Kyrie. And they just kind of threw their hands up in the air and said, all right, we kind of give up. And once that, I think once Kyrie got traded to Dallas earlier this week, I I saw the writing on the wall that Kevin Durant's probably not going to be with the Nets long term. But I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I actually honestly believed if you asked me, before any of this kind of happened yesterday, I would have almost said like 95% he would have been with the Nets post trade deadline this year and that they would just reevaluate, reevaluate at the end of the year and in the off season, because he has three more years of team control with the extension that he signed uh, Mm -hmm. earlier this year. And and to me, it just made me think, okay, the things that they, like, th- and, and maybe this is, like, a theme for all NBA teams in terms of where are these teams going and what does management want to do with the team itself and how they project sure. out into the future? And, you know, that question can be asked to a bunch of different teams and what, what they want to do and where they want to go. But it seems like the Nets were kind of split between two minds, especially with the Kyrie deal earlier this week. And then the Kevin Durant deal, you know, to uh, like early today, uh, late yesterday in that, like what they got for Kyrie, which was, Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a unprotected first round in tw- uh, first rounder in 2029, and a couple second rounders. You wouldn't necessarily think that was a terrible trade in terms of if they wanted to stay around Kevin Durant with those pieces this year mm-hmm. and trying to potentially make a run. Not that I think it would have been a great run. They'd probably you know, fell out in the second round this year, but I would have thought, Oh, okay. Like maybe they're just trying to give it a shot and like rework this. And then, and then to just go out on Thursday and, and, and trade Kevin Durant uh, for pieces that were there this summer, this past summer when Kevin Durant had earlier made trade demands 
and most likely would have been there later this summer too in in the 2022 or 2023 offseason going into 2024 it just made me wonder like why the why the urgency to get this deal done right now before the trade deadline and and yeah. i feel like yeah, sorry. And, and one more thing. No, go ahead. And keep going. Keep yeah. going. Finish it well, up. I've done plenty of long monologues on this in my day, right. so go ahead. One more thing that I wanted to say is, and talk, to kind of toss it to you, is what is what's Nets management thinking and trying to get a deal done so yeah. urgently right after – all the Kyrie stuff falls out, uh, after the Kyrie fallout and then trying to get it done right before the trade deadline. Like in your, yeah. your estimation was this package or a package of this, of this like around the league, not going to be there this summer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of have a lot of thoughts, so let me just back up and kind of volley my own monologue, my own back real quick. I just want to point out, like, I think you did a great job of laying everything out, especially without touching the third rail of like the Harden trade being a bad, a really catastrophic sort of decision in hindsight, uh, which you have kind of been on from the beginning. And now I think has kind of become clear to all. Uh, and the, but and I I know we going back that far and rehashing all that just really isn't viable. But the reason I kind of mentioned that to start is like one thing I just wanted to drive home is the fact that like the sort of not confusing, but I think your frustration stems from a reasonable place, which is like that this all happened before. Like we had this conversation already. Right. Like last mm-hmm. summer, Kyrie and Kevin Durant requested a trade. Right. Both were requested trades. The Nets basically went no. And like they like you said, they showed some pretty decent promise throughout the first half of the season. Like were they really on the level of, of the Bucks and the and the Celtics? Probably not. But, you know, were they? like you said, showing some stuff. Yes. Like, were they like a viable, did they look like a viable, like, did you finally start to see some theory of a contender emerge from this team and some stability? Yes. The Nets sit down to do a extension or who, I don't know really what the reporting is. Does Kyrie ask for an extension? The Nets who kind of seemed to be, who probably were done with him in many ways. You know, do they offer they offer stuff that he doesn't like, and he requests a trade again? They trade him, fine. But um, your point about sort of the theory and like this, you know, the confusing thing or like the somewhat perplexing thing that I understand your frustration about is like the lack of. Given all the instability at this point, right, like that they've been dealing with, it seems like they still weren't ready for this moment or like had no plan like to stick to or like they didn't really have the emergency button and they 
just kind of took what they could get. You know what I mean? Like once they yeah. traded Kyrie, they were like, all right, now let's find the best deal out there and just go with it. And I think it could have been, if we're looking for kind of rationales, I think there are a number of reasons. One, I think stemming back to all of this stuff, like I think stemming back to like the Harden trade for Simmons, stemming back to the trade requests in the offseason, stemming back to Kyrie Irving's suspension for anti-Semitic or, you know, a stent, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, whatever, however we want to define it for, you know, they like for <laughs> at the very least, uh, you know, unapologetic troublemaking, you know, mm-hmm. publicly. I think there was like, I think there's a very strong possibility that Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, was just like, I'm done with this and I want to move on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I believe that. And I kind of made this argument when KD and Kyrie requested their trades earlier. And it was kind of proved, I think, proven somewhat wrong by what kind of, by the fact that they, at these last couple of months, they were playing well. And I guess I would say proven somewhat right in the sense that they ended up having to trade them both anyway. Although I think holding on at the very least got them a better package for Kyrie. You know what I mean? I think the Mavs mm-hmm. package was better than what anyone was offering when all this shit first started to go down. So at least there's a win in that regard. But focusing it more on KD, the other rationale that I'm sort of thinking of now is I do wonder if like there was a sense now that you were getting to the trade deadline of there's this dearth, there was this dearth of sellers, right? Like KD like if as we get into the rest of the trades later like it was kind of an odd trade deadline like the KD trade was like this kind of outsized thing and then the rest of it was kind of like pseudo bargain bin mm-hmm. you know what i mean there wasn't really the, i was watching ESPN today and people were saying this bit, i promise this is going somewhere there's this big arms race in the west but really it was just this one thing so I wondered if, like, maybe there was this twofold thing, like, one, this sense of, like, well, we can leverage some of this idea that, like, there's not really that much other, there aren't that many other paths for teams to get better, and we can leverage this now in a way we wouldn't be able to leverage in the off season. And I do wonder if maybe the Nets had, besides this, we want to move on. Like, I do wonder if maybe was this, there was this feeling of like, well, if we get to the off season and like, there's more of this idea that like, he's going to inevitably, especially with the Suns connection, because the Suns connection has been there since he first requested the trade in the off season. So I wonder if there was this idea of like, well, if this air of inevitability that he's going to be traded to the Suns starts to like set in institutionally, it's going to be harder to like build up a market for him. So Mm. I do see that possibly being an idea, but you know, saying all of this, like to your ultimate question of like, you know, it's kind of a twofold thing. Like, do I think this is a fair return for him? Yes. Do I think this still would have been there in the off season? Yes. So therefore, Hmm. why not just hold on to him? Does make sense. Does make sense in my, in, in my mind. 
Like, yeah. so it still is hard to kind of square the circle there. Like, one thing I do want to say is, like, and without getting too into, like, other philosophical discussions, like, the kind of thing I want to toss back at you, like, real quick was, like, the Rudy Gobert trade, right? Like, we kind of had a lengthy discussion about it when we did our kind of, like, preseason preview, or, like, maybe we did, like, an off-season thing, but... Did the Rudy Gobert trade make it impossible for the Nets to, like, ever really get a good resolution? Were they going to trade KD? Put another way, like, once that that standard is basically was never going to be met, whether you got to the offseason or not, probably. So has this kind of, like, given us all – has this kind of ruined our ability to even like sort of judge a trade on this magnitude? Like it's kind of something I've been thinking about. Mm. And I, I mean, I think that's a really fair question to ask in terms of it basically the Rudy Gobert trade ruined the trade, ruined how we view trades and how we can fairly assess trades in terms of what fair value is. Um, Yeah, or, like, created this standard of, like, what a KD trade should have eventually looked like that was, like, never going to be met no matter what. Sort of. That's just the thing I want to, at the least, it's kind of an impossible question to answer, but, like, as we kind of evaluate the whole, it is something I want to sort of, at the very least, have operating this in the background, you know? Yeah, and I I mean, I do think that is a fair question to ask. It's just, it really is tough because that just, it only takes one team to kind of go out of their mind and grossly overpay to to make a trade happen. So it's really hard to assess what the value is. I will say that KD is getting up there in age. He's, what, 34, Mm going to be turning 35. And typically for most NBA players that aren't named LeBron James, usually aren't super productive after, you know, that age in their mid-30s. So, like, having people like in Kevin Durant, and he is amazing. When he's healthy, he's amazing. Of yeah, I mean he's a he was a probably between the sort of fourth and he's been a like top seven player in the NBA this year for sure. Like maybe yeah maybe four on the high end. You know what I mean? Like there was a there's a high chance of him finishing in the you know top five for the NBA for the MVP race, and he'll probably be a first team All NBA or so. That you know. Yeah, and I I think that's where, you know, if you want to compare, like, the last couple of big-name trades that ended up happening, you've pretty much gotten the value that you think you were going to get. I I do think the when you look at the talent in terms of Bridges and Cam Johnson, that's probably where I'm a, a slight slightly disappointed but i'm not exactly sure hmm. what interesting I'm not exa- like i'm not exactly sure what team was out there in terms of young guy that has like amazing potential that yeah 
a team was going to be willing to give up. Like, yeah, I mean, we talked about it. We, yeah, we would like quickly, like not to re like, we talked about this when he first, like Scotty Barnes on the Raptors, whose stock has now fallen. You know what I mean? Like who's now really not as much or like one of the Pelicans guys. I don't think Zion, especially the way he played was ever really going to be on the table. So yeah, I, I, it's hard. My point is that I agree with you that it's hard to sort of, look look across the league and see that out there and one other thing I really just wanted to like I'd really like to take a shot at the casuals here I think you're allowed to be I think you're allowed to have your thought about bridges but I have seen I especially when the trade went down last night I saw this take of like wow the the Nets didn't get eight in or like wow the Nets kept like Chris Paul and whatever like there is an argument to be made that I that Bridges is a better you one I think Bridges makes more sense for what the Nets are clearly trying to do here than Aiton and I think Bridges just might straight up have more value than Aiton also oh, and Chris agreed. Paul was possibly being traded for like Fred Van Vliet and like you know uh, D'Angelo mm-hmm. Russell and people like this you know last week. So let's, let's pump the brakes on, on that also. But, but with that, go ahead, your point about sort of being slightly disappointed in the, in the player centric return. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm not exactly sure which player, which young player was out there to be had where I would have been like, yes, yeah, sign me up for that guy. And to mm-hmm. him having potential all-star, all-star potential, like the, the, sure. the traits the trades that I think about in, in that are likened to this KD trade are probably the Gobert trade where they, where Minnesota just gave up, a, I don't, what was it? Six picks, seven. It was like yeah. some ridiculous, like some ridiculous amount, number amount, amount of first round picks with probably not the, the young player that, the Nets got in Bridges and Cam Johnson. No, so, I think basically, I think basically, I mean, you can disagree with me, and I just think interjecting is a better is a better mm-hmm. use of my time here than monologuing back and forth. When you look at it, like I was thinking about this last night as I read about the trade and was like trying to fall asleep. They got four unprotected ones, right? I think Bridges yeah. is probably worth like two, like he's worth like an unprotected and like a protected pick. So like two-ish and Johnson's probably worth one. So I'd say it's like, you know, and then they got all those, and then they got Jay Crowder who they picked for, who they flipped for five second rounders, which will actually not be the first time we, the last time we say five second rounders on this podcast. And I am being paid, I think five second rounders to be on this podcast right now. Um, (laughs) So like, I think when you look at the aggregate hole, Like, it's actually not that far off. I think what it lacks and the point you're making is, like, with a player at, like, I think there is this baseline sense, though, with, like, as a player as, with a player as sort of pops off the screen as KD, especially given the standard that's been set, you kind of are looking for this one wow piece to get really excited about 
that's not there. You know what I mean? Like a trade I was thinking about really the trade I kind of compare this to, and I have to go off the top of my head to remember what came back was like the Anthony Davis trade is sort of a trade I was thinking about a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. Where it was kind of that combo of young players and picks. But for, I think that like the Brandon Ingram is kind of missing here is sort of like what is sort of my thought kind of but and like there's kind of this dual prong thing right where it's like you were kind of like was that ever going to emerge maybe not but I think that is sort of why your frustration with not waiting kicks in because it's like okay that might have never emerged but had we gotten to the offseason and it didn't emerge you'd feel sort of more comfortable with taking a deal like this at that point because uh, because like at least then you kind of have more of a sense that they exhausted all of their options. But that's kind of the thing where like you have to enter the mind of the organization. Maybe they've truly felt like they had done all of their due diligence the last time he, you know what I mean, during the last round of trade negotiations or scouring and uh, that this was the best they could get, or they, you know, feared the uncertainty of what could happen between now and the off season to maybe diminish his trade value. But, you know, it's still, we're starting to kind of go in circles a little bit, but the overall madness is something I, I sort of understand. Yeah. It's just kind of, and I think that was the deal that I was thinking of the, the Davis deal to the Lakers. And there's just, and I, I don't know, maybe this is revisionist history or mm-hmm. like hindsight is 2020, but yeah. I can't remember back in 2019 when the deal was made, what the perception of Brandon Ingram was. And in terms of like, yeah. it, it didn't, ever, like, I think people thought he was talented, but I don't think they thought he was on the level that no. people view him today because he's clearly gotten better than what, I think the Pelicans probably thought. And then that was also, I think the blow of trading Davis got softened when the Pelicans basically got super lucky to get the mm-hmm. number one pick in that, in the, yeah. in that draft to get Zion Williamson. And sure. that made it, that made it like, okay, this is all digestible now that Anthony Davis got to move on, and then they were able to get a star player in Zion, a really solid player in, in Brandon Ingram. And, you know, at the time, I think people thought, like, oh, Lonzo Ball's a decently nice piece before all of his injuries. And then Josh Hart's, like, one of those complimentary rotation pieces. And they got three first-round picks, which was, like – yeah. Uh, like an, and one of the picks was like a top five pick. I think it was like a number four yeah. selection. Ball's they, value was definitely like I think Ball and Bridges sort of were pro, are probably like equivalent value at at you know at the time or whatever. Right. But yeah, yeah, and then exact and and kind of like what and um I just looked up what the Nets ended up giving up um for the Harden deal and they gave up Jared Allen who's a like a nice piece he's like an all-star piece which sure like, you wouldn't think of him like that but he's like a fringe all-star no, yeah. player yeah totally with um Torian Prince and they went to Cleveland 
Um, and then Karis LeVert, Rodion Karuk's three first rounders, four pick swaps. So like that's a significant amount to be giving yeah. up to to for Harden. And when you think back on it, yeah, when like, you look oh, at okay, it, like, the, the yeah, yeah, you go ahead. You're like for basically one year of James Harden, they gave up all of that. And sure, but of course that, that's a little bit of hindsight. Twenty twenty, right, it right, happened right. to go probably in the like low ten percent of outcomes there. But but I I, I still hear you totally. Yeah, 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 no, exactly. So like. I think my main conclusion from looking at all the the historical trades and not just focusing in on the absurdity of picks that were given up in the Gobert trade for a player that I don't think people would deem on that star star level like Anthony Davis or James Harden at the time. I think the Nets pretty much got fair value for a 35-year-old, 34-year-old Kevin Durant. And yeah, it's, it's, I think what's really disappointing is that it didn't work. Like the experiment didn't work when, when people said like, you could just get three stars and they'll figure it out and they'll learn how to play basketball together. And this is like example number one for how things don't work out at all and like how hard it actually is to kind of mend all of these personalities and pieces together like when LeBron first started this whole uh three-star thing going out to Miami with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh so yeah at the end of the day like at basically at the end of the day I'm not upset necessarily at Kevin Durant being traded for what was what what was given back by the Nets and like whether or not it represented fair value. I just think like process wise, there probably could it probably could have gone a lot better in terms of how do we think about these things and let's take our time in terms of what we want to do as a franchise instead of kind of being in this like middle stage of, I'm not exactly sure because if if it's, yeah, if it's, if it's like this, then my question is like, why didn't they trade Joe Harris this, this trade deadline? Why didn't they trade Seth Curry this trade line? So yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit confused about the, and I, I agree. Like, I'm a little bit, that's kind of, yeah, I kind of want to talk to you more about like the shape of this team going forward and what you think the plan is slash should be, because that was something that sort of confused me. Like you go back to like the trading for, I mean, you could argue the Simmons trade, but like even a move like trading your first round pick this year for like Royce O'Neal like right before KD requested the trade. Like there's been this sort of like, not quite incoherence, but this sort of like, we can afford to fly by the seat of our pants-ness to the whole thing that didn't work. But real quick, before you, before we kind of get into that aspect of things, like I don't want to do the whole like, let's make fun of Kyrie, but like give me a rough on individuals, like, 
it's sort of like I'm asking a bunch of different questions at once. Like I kind of want to ask, like, does Sean Marks have, in your opinion, like the right to guide this team in like, has he done, like, does he have the, should he be fired or like, does he sort of have the right to shape this team into whatever this future is going to be? And like, just in your view at this point, it may change at the future. Like, assigning relative blame to individuals like let's do a rough blame pie here who do you want to blame like is it mostly Kyrie is it like a mixture of KD and Kyrie is it mostly the front office I I'm kind of interested in hearing your opinion on that so maybe you can work your answer to question number one into question number two and then we can sort of move out of the backwards looking zone yeah, and I I mean, I think this is where it gets interesting because when looking at other people's opinions, which maybe maybe it's like the casual opinion on Twitter and maybe this is why you got off Twitter and it's kind of <laughs> is like what is going on is like the the amount of blame on Marx is kind of surprising to me. Like, yes, the front office is like, has made somewhat questionable moves. And I feel like they're, they're a little, I feel like the front office was hamstrung in terms of like trying to appease the pieces on the roster, the big pieces like Kyrie, like Katie. And when James was here trying to appease that while also kind of like saying, all right, if this all goes to shit, like we have to kind of think of a plan B on the fly. And, and I think ultimately, and ultimately the blame probably has to go on Kyrie just because he set he, he ended up setting up all of the stuff that ended up happening. And, and from a, from his point of view, maybe, you know, management and ownership is probably at fault because they just didn't give him the four-year extension max that he was out there looking for. But how could you blame ownership and management, especially with all the unevenness that was going on with Kyrie involved every step of the way? So, yeah, it feels like, weirdly, Kyrie is at fault but then maybe the passiveness of Kevin Durant is also contributing to that in that mm-hmm. in that you would have thought i it's actually to me it's like surprising and maybe it isn't surprising because this league is small players protect players everyone yeah. has each other's back so it doesn't like no one wants to upset this fraternity of basketball players and you know for better or for worse whatever that looks like in in the media and image and legacy Kevin Durant was willing to almost take the fall for what Kyrie had done in the past year or so um past whatever six months or so to protect that relationship with Kyrie and yeah maybe that like lack of like hey Kyrie what are you doing like in the media slash 
like the it, he never like came out with hostility to to yeah. Kyrie and said no this guy is like off his rockers he just never said that he was always very supportive of Kyrie and that yeah and with and with that by association that almost pit him against what the Nets front office was trying to do even though it seems like the Nets the Nets front office Marks and Joe Sy were trying it seemed like a trying to appease Kevin Durant as much as they could in terms yeah. of like trying to satisfy him, trying to put all the pieces they wanted to put around him. Um, yeah. And it, and it ultimately didn't work. And yeah, it's, it's just, I, I think it's just interesting that, that there's that much blame on the Nets front office. Like, were the Nets was the Nets front office, and this is going back to a point that we've probably touched upon a couple of different times. Yeah, we totally Nets have. Team, is yeah. like, were the was the Nets front office just supposed to be like, no, we're not doing anything that the the big three or the big two with Kyrie and Katie want us to do? Like, we're not going to go along with like, oh, they want that wing piece. Let's sign him up. Like, were they just not going to do that and just kind of yeah. run the team how they saw fit? Like, I think people have to realize when there's a certain amount of power that you give to uh, these star level players, you have to kind of be like, all right, we're kind of going to be in a joint partnership with these players in terms of yeah. them trying to make the shots um, of yeah. like what ends up happening. And ultimately you're kind of seeing that, that back and forth, even with like LeBron on the Lakers now in terms of like, mm-hmm. if LeBron had his way, like he would have shipped off Russell Westbrook like a long time ago before this trade line, trade deadline for other pieces. So it just feels like it just feels like once you get into that partnership with a star player, you have to run things by them. And it's unrealistic yeah. to think that like you're the players, you play basketball and your management you manage the team. So that's kind of like where I'm at. And you do assign some small blame to to Sean Marks, but in terms of well, I think we the go. overall handling. I think just to squeeze it in here now, because I do have like a couple things I want to add on, but just to sort of get it in while you bring it up. Like I think the thing, if you want to assign, like if I were like looking at the blame pie and I was like, what's Marx's portion? It's like the handling of the hard and like trading hard in a way has to be agreed. You know, agreed. Pre- obviously he was hamstrung somewhat into having to make that deal and I think ultimately if you were like tracking the map and you were like what thing that happened that somebody did led to the most bad outcomes it's Kyrie not getting vaccinated clear like that led to the most negative things you know what I mean like from like because Harden probably doesn't ask out if Kyrie just gets back like who knows maybe there could be some argument to be made that Kyrie it's like I'm trying to think of the, I forget what the theory is, like whatever will go wrong, will go, you know what I mean? Can go wrong, mm-hmm. will go wrong. Maybe he would have found, even if the pandemic doesn't happen, he finds some other thing to sort of 
drastically ruin the team, you know, but that's gotta be what he has to be number one on the list for that because his decision to not get vaccinated, like clearly led to the most negative outcome. But Marks is the eventual trading of Harden for Simmons, which sort of ruined at the very least, the ability of this team to like reshape around Kevin Durant after you traded Kyrie or like the, lowering of the you know championship window post hard and what have you like he has to take the L on even though a lot of people including me saw that trade as like a pretty good outcome given the circumstances at the time I think he does have to take the L on that one but I think everything you've said uh everything you've said you know like definitely stands um, was there anything else you wanted to say about Marks? Cause I just wanted to make two points. I don't want to rehash all the Kyrie stuff like KD organizational balance stuff, but I did have sort of two new points I wanted to make, but anything else on Marks? Cause I think after that we'll, we'll try and move on and look forward. But, but was, yeah. what, what were you going to say? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, I think I'm, I think me and you, as rationally as we're looking at this situation, like I feel like we're in the minority of how we see marks in this whole, in this like whole scheme of things. Like sure. Just looking, just looking on Twitter, looking on at like what the, I guess, prevailing opinion on marks and Joe Sire is like they're cheap and they didn't want to pay Kyrie the, the extension and the the max mm. and it's like i'm just like yes they didn't but like wasn't isn't there good reason for them not to have done that now yeah i don't know like what the right course of action would have been in terms of like Kyrie's kind of coming up on this kind of coming up on this like deal of like uh, of this expiring deal like i'm not exactly sure what they should have done and like if I if I had the money, I probably would have just been like, all right, Kyrie's getting the money and like we'll try to figure it out if he like is a bad apple because like thinking about it as like an asset, like being able to have another asset in team control for three to four more years is the valuable portion of it to the point where like, there's going to be a trade out there that they should be able to find. But I could see why, like, I'm like, I'm at, it's for me, it's not because of Marks that why this whole thing blew up. It's because of Kyrie. Like I put most of the blame on Kyrie. Um, yeah. And yeah, all no, the that, things definitely. that, yeah, basically all the things that he brought the Nets through. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And like, and I wanted I to make just two, I, I just as to your point about being in the minority, like it's going to be kind of interesting and whether we, because I've listened to some like more, I think our a view on things aligns more sort of with the NBA, NBA media. I, I, I think there might just be sort of a media fan schism. And I think most people know Kyrie, I think the majority of people see Kyrie as like a bad actor to to some extent at this point, maybe they overestimate management's ability to sort of 
keep the ship afloat or, or what have you. Uh, but I, I don't know. But one thing I wanted to say, like sort of two things on that point is like one history. I think I'm kind of interested. I think what ha- in both of, in the shape of both of these careers, what happens next is going to be really, really fascinating and important. You know what I mean? I, I mean, if Kyrie, like, it goes without saying, if this Kyrie Mavs situation doesn't go well, like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me five times, shame on everyone. <laughs> like, I, I, I yeah, know. I know. But, like, you know, like, I wouldn't, you know, I wonder if there is this sort of amnesia thing that sort of goes on somewhat, especially because Kyrie is such a, interesting talent and really just an interesting character in the in the history of the league i was thinking about this Kyrie dame comparison the other night that i don't really have time to get into a monologue about but i just think Kyrie is one of the more concerning my getting off of twitter he's like one of the more twittery players of all time you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. and then the kd thing you know it's kind of interesting like it's almost like the sort of, I like KD and like, we've had fascinating, even before he went to the Nets, we've had fascinating conversations about KD's sort of psyche and inscrutability and stuff. But like this adds, I feel like not enough has been talked about, about like how this adds to that sort of, Mm -hmm. and without like going down the rabbit hole, I'll just flag like, I I kind of like because I don't really want to do the like where do the Suns rate in the whole like how will this team look blah 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 just because we don't have time and I think the Nets part is the part where we you can add more novel analysis to it but I not that I'm like rooting for them to do badly or like think they're gonna do badly but I would kind of doesn't the history of KD kind of like I would if I were like. A stock like you could buy stock in NBA teams. I would kind of fade the Suns at, at least for this year, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of fascinated. Like he should pretty much. I, I'm kind of stuttering over my words, but like if I were like Rich Kleiman or like I were someone in his year, I'd be like, dude, the next like year and a half, and like what happens with you on this team and how you lead this team is the most important thing to determining how your legacy sort of, I think agreed is ultimately viewed like whether or not that matters to him. I don't know, but Mm. I think, I think it does. And like one last thing, just on your sort of the organizational power and stuff and like the blame of Kyrie and KD. And like, I think it ties into all of these points is like, it seemed like they, when you take this back to what year was it? 18 when they went to the Nets or whatever, like mm-hmm. it seemed like Katie and Kyrie chose the Nets in part, like no offense to you, Kevin Wu, like lifelong Nets fan. Like the Nets were a somewhat like, obviously they had this Atkinson sort of cool development thing going on. And like, maybe they can get back to that. And that would be a kind of, like, I think if you're a Nets fan, that's kind of a thing, the little bit of hope you have to take with you or the, like, little bit of relief you should sort of have is, like, all right, we're sort of back to square one a little bit here, and at least we have some stuff, like, to kind of play around with in that vein. But 
getting back to sort of my ultimate point, the Nets were sort of a blank slate, right? They were this team from New Jersey that had moved to Brooklyn. They're kind of like the other New York team, big market, like, but like doesn't have that much of a sort of like historical bit of baggage to it. Like they, the point I'm making is they seem to choose that situation because it was kind of the blank slate for them to sort of imprint on right like mm-hmm. it seemed yeah. like they kind of wanted the ability to like do their own thing or like I don't know if they wanted to lead like you know what I mean like it's not as much of like a Le- LeBron going to the Lakers thing but like they kind of wanted to do a version of that and like this is what happened so I think there definitely has to be some ownership uh clearly um but going yeah. forward like yeah, go ahead. Oh, do you want to add something? Go ahead. No, I, I, I think the I think the going forward part that maybe you're about to get into of like what legacy looks like for Kevin Durant and like the different pieces of of like this Nets team and then ultimately what this Nets team looks like as a whole going forward without KD, post KD, post Kyrie is like a really interesting kind of like I think people will event, you know, they're going to like not pay attention as much, but I think there's some interesting pieces here that mm-hmm. like ultimately makes this season kind of at the end of this season, kind of like, Oh, what's going to happen. But like the whole legacy thing with Kevin Durant for me is like a fascinating storyline for, from like, February and into the 2023 playoffs of like, if he's able to win the championship with this Phoenix Suns team, like he would be able to get Chris Paul over the hump. And like, yeah, being, being able to do that would be like pretty fascinating on multiple different levels of just, well, Kevin Durant, is able to to win one without Curry, obviously, win one with Chris Paul, who's never won one. And I think that would be like a nice feather in his cap of just being able to say, hey, like, this was a team that brought me in to do the job that I was supposed to do in terms of winning championships. And if they if they win one this year or win one next year, which is probably their realistic timeline with Chris yeah. Paul and and everyone together, then it's job well done. And people, I think, will look at Kevin Durant a lot more favorably and kind of forget a, Like, I don't know if they'll ever really forget about this Nets period, but they'll just be like, oh, and then he toiled at, at the, in the Nets for a couple years before yeah. finally, like – finding his way to a championship in Phoenix. And I think that's where it gets like really fascinating. That storyline is something that I'm definitely looking towards um, for, for the playoffs um, this year. Now for the Nets this year, like 
as weird as this sounds like they're in the playoffs right now they're i think the fifth or fourth seed right now they're they were left in fourth right where Ky, Kyrie did his job people forget yeah he, he did his left job. them in fourth right before they uh, were supposed to be yep exactly so um it's weird i wonder like how this team is gonna operate like this team is a bunch of pieces and as weird as this sounds like before Ben Simmons went through all of his mental, like mental stuff. Um, like if this was like a pre Ben Simmons, like pre mental health stuff with Ben Simmons, this is almost the perfect team for Ben Simmons to operate as weird as that sounds. But like, I mean, a lot of things have changed and like, it seems like the, the Nets have like, every type of three and D wing type of player that you would want. Um, and like every playoff contender would like love to have. And yeah. this team kind of, this team kind of reminds me of Toronto in some ways. Yeah. Like just a I was, bunch of the Toronto comparisons were right, right there in, in right there for me. Arguably I'd kind of argue uh, other than Scotty Barnes, like maybe a more, favorable like the Toronto situation although it has a higher upside it's kind of more of a quandary where the that situation is kind of more of a fun sort of a fun sandbox kind of if that makes any sense but I totally agree with that comparison yeah and like the Nets have like legitimately 15 rotation pieces like I'm not even joking but like they have 15 guys that could probably get minutes on an NBA team. And obviously like those, those, all those players aren't going to get minutes, but it just makes me think why they didn't do anything else to like kind of trade some of the spare parts, like Seth Curry, Joe Harris to maybe get an extra first round pick. I yeah. like I don't know what they would have gotten for those guys, but I'm sure a contender would have paid paid a first rounder. Maybe it was like somewhat protected for one of those guys uh, to have some more shooting on their team. So like sure. even guys like that, just to give them, just to open up some space for you know have get give more players opportunities, and you know Cam Thomas has kind of shown out the past couple of. You know, the yeah, past Cam Sanity so. in full swing. They play again tonight. Let's see if he goes for more than thirty. I know, and I think that's that's like a thing to look forward to. But ultimately, like the way I want to tie the bow, I guess, and like kind of yeah. look at this like Nets era is massive disappointment. And yeah, <laughs> they, but all massive disappointment. But at the end of the day pre-Kyrie, pre-Harden, pre-Durant, a lot better than where they were before, which is like as weird as it is to say the talent on the roster right now is better than what they had pre-Kevin Durant, Kyrie. Totally. But the weird thing is, and really the brief thing I wanted to ask you about, I know you tied a bow and I'm like undoing the bow, like sort of this idea, like I was looking at their draft picks and stuff like that. And I know you get kind of not hung up on, but like 
you always, I, you mentioned to me about like how they've kind of lost a lot of their own picks because of the hardened trade and what have you. But now you look at the war chest and it's like fairly stocked. These four picks from Phoenix, like, yeah, they owe some of the, they, most of these, they have these swaps, but like Houston's pretty bad. So the swaps shouldn't really be coming into play at least in the next like couple years and stuff like that. Sort of the quandary is this, like, is it because it's like now you have the assets to try and like get another Kevin Durant or, or what have you, you know what I mean? Which is sort of like, I suppose if you want to look at it that way, it's kind of a little bit disheartening, but like, let's kind of like really quick, like frame it this way. Like there's two years left on Simmons's contract, which is the worst contract in the NBA. Like, at this point, or like one of the worst, we'll talk about another one of the worst in, in a second year, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's like in the next two, like if you're kind of Sean Marks, like looking at the next two years of the Nets, like what's your basic sort of plan? Is it like, are you kind of in consolidation mode already? Like, I think the rest, obviously the rest of the year is kind of like, see what you have. And I'm kind of there with you. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, like, they're in fourth. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they only end up, especially when you see, like, the gap that sort of emerged. Like, it's like, they got worse, but, like, Philly didn't, like, the Celtics and Bucks got marginally better. Philly stood pat. And all of these other teams are pretty meh. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, still made the second round or something like that. But setting that aside, like, what's your kind of goal or like, what are you at looking forward to in the next like year or so of this team? Like, and I think that's where ultimately, like when I think more about it, I get sad again <laughs> because like, yeah, because you're like, because it's it, hard to, who it's hard to see. Yeah. Well, I think the reason for all of it, all the sadness is like, Oh, so we like acquired all these picks, yeah. all these different pieces that people find attractive to ultimately like cobble together again to go for the next guy. Yeah. And like, yeah. maybe it's like, maybe it's like the girlfriend that cheated on you or like, and, and having past trauma kind of come up in that way. But it's just like, Oh, if we do all of this again, like who's to say that, next player is not going to burn us so yeah it, it I think that's why it's kind of like oh okay like we just got back to the place where we were where we just like we just got back to the place of pre-Kyrie pre-Durant pre-Harden um where we were looking for that star player and we had three of them in our hands and we just kind of let it go and yeah. that's where it becomes like a massive disappointment. But like ultimately for the rest of the year, it's pretty in the next couple of years, just to see like, like see what they have. Honestly, like there's yeah. like, there's a lot of these like really intriguing six, six to six, nine wing pieces that are super fascinating. That feels like you can kind of cobble something together um, and I don't know, like, I, I just can't really see like Mark's wanting to tank at all because there's no incentive for the Nets to tank because yeah. all the picks are going to Houston anyway. 
So, like, yeah, they have to be somewhat competitive. And I think the hope is, like, just continue to develop, continue to have a situation where Toronto, like, have a Toronto situation where they try to hover and see, like, who the next guy is that becomes available and then try to poach from there. And that's, like, pretty much all they can hope for at this point, at least until – as crazy as it sounds, 2030 when I'm like 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that so, was good. That's, so, that's the slow and extrable march of time comes, comes, yeah, to all. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right. So, yeah, we're going to go. Enough Nets. Yeah, no, yeah, that I was, was good. I think we hit all the angles from that. I think that was. I think we ended on a somewhat upbeat, and then I dragged us back down slightly. No, but uh, <laughs> I feel pretty. I feel pretty happy with our 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 coverage of that. So, like you know, for the next fifteen minutes or so, what do you what do you like? What's I'm because of like we took you to the doctor, right? Like back in the day when I had ADHD and my mom took me to the therapist, I would get to stop at Seven Eleven and get a slushy on the way home. So for your version of that, what would you like to, from today or the last couple of days hit on yeah, this, to, to talk about next? Yeah, basically got to talk about, you know, all the different topics and like, you know, for me, I wanted, I, I got ice cream when I got like, my shots as like a five-year-old yeah kid. exactly so like exactly so we're gonna have a so there's and i think you alluded to this during our whole like nets talk of like there was this one really big blockbuster trade with kevin durant and Kyrie was you know in another blockbuster but if you look around the league it was a lot of like reshuffling of players like, yeah no one yeah. no one really got better no one got like no one really pivoted to get worse necessarily either. Like, yeah, like yeah. all all the pieces in Toronto held like Van Fleet. Yep. And they actually made Yaka. they actually tried to get better by trading for Yaka Pirtle. Like, yeah, because their one need was like they basically decided, all right, we don't have a center, let's get a center, and then we'll see what happens. In fact, I think. Masai Ujiri, and usually Masai Ujiri makes the right kind of moves. Um, you know, I think he ultimately basically made the decision you wanted Marks to make with KD, which was like, you know what, let's just stand pat, try and get a little bit better and see where we're at in the offseason. I think the one guy they can't really, like Van Vliet, I think is the one guy they kind of might have missed some value on, but it's, you know, anyway, just different philosophies. Yeah. But but just to, I, I don't know why I had to butt in to say that, but I kind of had a friend who texted me like, this was a bonkers trade deadline. And I was like, I guess, but like, once you get outside of the top, it was more of a perplexing deadline, kind of. Weird, and I think your point like, about reshuffling weird. made a lot of sense. Like, it struck me as kind of, because there is this air of obviously the KD trade fucked it up, but there is this sort of air of parody hanging over the league. Right. So it seemed like teams wanted to make these marginal moves. Like the people were itching to do stuff, but at the end of the day, there wasn't just that much 
to be done. And I think the prime example of that is this. Uh, and I don't have the details up. Uh, let me let me get them up. But this this Jazz Minnesota Laker trade, right? Yeah. Um, where basically the the Lakers uh, have a homecoming with D'Angelo Russell, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and they also get Jared Vanderbilt right uh, from the Jazz. They send well, out Russell Beasley. Westbrook. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Do you have Do you have the terms in front of you? Because I don't, or maybe you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was uh, Malik Beasley, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, and then D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers. Yeah. Um, Lakers sent out Russell Westbrook to the Utah Jazz, um, and then Mike Conley ended up going to Minnesota. Uh, and that those are like the principal pieces for like yeah. the big pieces that were involved in that deal. And there's just like a lot of reshuffling. Like there's like reports now yeah. that Westbrook's going to get bought out by Utah. And then he might either sign with the Clippers or Miami, uh, Miami. Yeah. And I don't know that. Might oh, that's interesting. I hadn't seen Miami. I saw the Clippers, but that's pretty yeah. interesting. So that could potentially be interesting. I think the buyout market will be really fascinating for a bunch of teams like Reggie Jackson was involved in a trade today yep. that like that he's probably going to get bought out in and like he'll be on the, uh, in the market as well. So there's just like a lot of like interesting trades. Like does the D'Angelo Russell deal like inspire confidence from the Lakers? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it's the Malik Beasley and mostly Jared Vanderbilt part. That's like somewhat yeah. fascinating too. That yeah, I think that's gives, the, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that gives the that gives the Lakers some depth. I think that's like the other part that's probably a little bit more fascinating from like a depth perspective that the Lakers have just not had this season at all and have looked, you know, pretty terrible without LeBron or without AD. Um, they've like lost consistently to teams that you wouldn't think that they are they're better than or they're worse than. Um, and like even LeBron's like record breaking night, they ended up losing yeah. to OKC. So it's yeah. just I think that's kind of the thinking maybe Polenka had of hey we just need like pieces to be brought in and is is D'Angelo Russell necessarily worse? that much worse than Russell Westbrook at this point? Probably not. Um, I, I know the Lakers gave up uh, an unprotected first round pick in that deal as well. So that's, that was like a 2027 first rounder. So that's like something that, I mean, that I think people were like, Oh, okay. That's something. But I think ultimately when looking at the trade in terms of what they were getting back, they're probably very okay with it because yeah. they got three serviceable rotation pieces. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's kind of like the point, but like the way you discuss it. And it's like, yes, you kind of get to chalk up a W and like you did something, but serviceable is kind of the point there and kind of the key word for this whole trade deadline, probably, but read the Lakers. Like, it's like, great, you kind of marginally improved, but like you pointed out, this, as it stands, is like 
basically a fringe playoff team, right? So yeah. obviously, because it's the Lakers, it's going to get some outsized coverage. But it's like, that wasn't the, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't, there's really not much to that you've seen from them thus far to, you know, believe obviously anything can happen, especially when you have like LeBron James on your team, but it's like, it doesn't, um, yeah, it's just not the kind of thing where like a move like that, even though it may be like a good move, like and there's really no harm in them making it like giving up that 2027 pick is, you know, you never know if LeBron's gone by then or what have you, but I get it. But it's like, it's not anything I'm like getting off of my seat about that I think is, is changing the uh, shape of the league. And that's like true for Minnesota too. It's like, oh, you kind of went from a, a, a point guard in D'Angelo Russell that seemed to like not really fit what, what this team is rounding into. But it's, it's for more of an adult in the room that maybe this team needs. Uh, especially given Conley and Gobert's history, you know, although it's somewhat short, it's not like forever, but yeah, but you know, the point is it's like great, but like, that's not really elevating the, the amount of teams that got like drastically elevated other than the Suns in this trade line are maybe zero and uh, a kind of funny <laughs> after I guess Shams is working with FanDuel and after the um after the trade it was like their odds basically like championship odds of each team and it was like basically they moved like the Lakers moved from like plus 2300 to plus 1900 like the minute mm-hmm. the Timberwolves moved from like plus 3400 to plus 3300 and it's like it imagined it like made me think of that meme where it's like minute like Virginia Tech was playing Wake Forest under the like Frank Beamer college football days and it was like <laughs> yeah. zero zero at the end of regulation and Frank <laughs> Beamer had his fist up like it reminded me of that kind of thing and I think that's basically the the theme for today is that kind of zero zero fist pump in the air where it's like all right the Bucks added Jay Crowder like the Clippers added Eric Gordon uh you know like if you're a fan, you can definitely get somewhat excited about that. Uh, but it's like, I don't think anyone really had anything going on today other than the, the, the Suns where you're like feeling like you've done anything to drastically change your fortunes. Yeah, I totally agree. So like some of the themes that were kind of running through my head um, were certain players being brought back to teams that they yeah. have already been to before. Like Eric Gordon goes back to the Clippers for a long time. Gary Payton, Gary Payton, the second goes back to the Warriors. Um, like three team deals were a big thing. It feels like during mm. this, during this trade deadline, um, like the, the uh, Luke Kennard, Eric Gordon, John Wall deal that brought Eric Gordon back to the Clippers, brought John Wall back to the Rockets, who basically sat him all of last year, and he's just back on the Rockets, which is yeah, kind that's of wild. so funny. I mean, he'll probably get yeah. bought out, but that was pretty fun. And it does feel like yeah. the Rockets. Windhorse was screaming about this on ESPN. Like the Rockets kind of had a little bit of a head scratchery trade deadline where it was like, yeah, they offloaded Gordon, but like didn't really get, it didn't feel like for a team that's tanking, you 
we're doing the thing that teams that are tanking usually tanking usually do, which is like be a dumping area for salary and like sell off your good older players for, for assets. It didn't seem like they really accomplished that today. Yeah, no agreed. And then like, what is the value of second round picks? Because they're being tossed. Like they're, they don't mean anything. Uh, Yeah. Five first rounders in five or five second round picks being traded. Like they're nothing, um, which was hilarious. Two different times today where we were just like, all right, I guess second round picks don't matter to, to any of these GMs at all. Um, you know, five second rounders being traded for um, for um, for Gary Payton the second and for Jay Crowder, which was like really funny. I thought that kind of was funny involving both of our teams. Um, and then the one last deal that kind of caught my eye, and I wanted to get your your take on it, was the Wiseman deal for the Pistons. Yeah. Uh, James Wiseman goes to the Pistons. Um, the Warriors receive five second round picks. I guess that that was that that was the third deal that had five second round picks involved. Get five second round picks from the Hawks, and then Kevin Knox from the Pistons, and then the Hawks receive Sadiq Bay. Like how Matt? And maybe this was a cap related move, but then that kind of was offset a little bit with them trading for uh, Gary Payton, uh, sending, it seems like, those five second-rounders to um, to your team, the Blazers, for Gary Payton the second. But, like, it feels like a cap salary dump type of thing that they just offloaded yeah. Wiseman for. But, like, he was the second oh, – second, pick in the draft three years ago uh yeah and looking back like it you know anthony edwards goes number one in that draft wiseman goes second and then Lamelo ball goes third it just it and 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 i think it kind of goes back to like does wiseman get better by playing on a bad team and just playing minutes or was this like system that Steve Kerr kind of put him in, put him in such a restrictive box that he wasn't able to play through mistakes because they're playing high leverage type of games the past three years. Um, And like Wiseman wasn't able to learn through his mistakes. Like I I thought that was like another fascinating move. Yeah, it's somewhat hard to answer, to be honest. Like, I don't think I have a good answer, but I think, and, you know, remember, we actually, like, evaluate, like, now we've been doing this so long that we can go back and be, like, we evaluated that draft somewhat, and I do remember kind of being out, uh, like, I think we, yeah, I do remember being kind of pro LaMelo and out on Wiseman, but, like, obviously LaMelo was, um, LaMelo was uh, kind of redundant considering Steph Curry being there. And there was talk about trading the pick and whatever. I don't remember what was on the table at the time, but the reason I'm just, I'm just kind of mentioning this idea of like the Warriors won the championship last year. So there's really no failures, but it does seem like for the Warriors broadly, this like 
rebuilds while rebuilds while contending thing has somewhat been a failure. You know what I mean? It may be too hard for an organization, even as good as the Warriors to square that circle, you know, and that can go from like a guy, you know, Wiseman sort of failures and like the system stuff. It's all, it's all a good point. And I don't think I've really watched enough game film to really understand to levy an assessment but what I can say is like when you look at sort of Wiseman Kaminga who's shown flashes but it's kind of fallen out of paper over the favor over the last year Moody like it just hasn't really seemed to work so I do wonder if there's this element of sort of the Warriors coming to realize especially this year which has been somewhat of a reality check there in they're like, what, the 12th seed right now or something like that, and Curry just went down again. I wonder if there's just this sense of, like, this rebuild uh, while sort of contending thing isn't working, and it may be time to sort of make pragmatic moves. And ultimately, they trade for Gary Payton Jr. and save, Woj tweeted, like, even making that move, save $7 million in luxury tax and $30 million in 23-24. So... Like, I don't see a high – I'm interested to see what Wiseman does with the Pistons. And frankly, like, don't the Pistons have, like, a ton – like, they drafted Jalen Duran. Like, they have a ton of big men. So, it's kind of interesting. I wonder how much run he gets there. Like, and I – but I don't really see the chances of it coming back to, like, flame them high. So, Mm -hmm. I didn't really come up with a grandiose take, but, like, I understand it kind of, I feel like I do sympathize pragmatically uh, for Got sure. It. So real quick, can we just do the blazer thing before we, I was before gonna we get out of here? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I kind of just want to use it as a chance to kind of update on where I'm standing because I feel like it's sort of, if you tracked all the blade, like put all the blazer segments together, this would probably be like an all time blow to, to some extent. And the trade deadline, like it was what it was, you know, and I felt okay with it until this Peyton trade. So they trade Josh Hart to the Knicks for a protected first round pick. So this year, if the Knicks make the playoffs, we get it. If they don't, we get four second rounders uh, and Cam Reddish and it's, and then they trade uh, and they got a, a bunch, a couple fringe guys are Ryan Archie Diaco, Ryan Archie Diacono, Svi Mikhailik, uh someone else who's, who I'm forgetting. They turn around and flip Mikhailik and send a second round pick to get uh, Matisse Seibel facilitating a trade with the uh, with the Hornets where the Sixers get Jalen McDaniels and like overall I was like all right this kind of like this is summarized the Cronin tenure thus far where it's like kind of remember he was an assistant GM over Neil O'Shea and it's like arbitrage trading or like bargain bin trading kind of where you're like all right you basically if you take these things in in totality you flip Josh Hart for like a kind of worse version of him in Matisse Seibel you get another young wing flyer in Reddish and like all right the team gets probably slightly worse but you you build the war chest a little bit and then they do this Gary Payton trade for five second round picks 
And if, like, you're not a Blazer fan, like, just to sort of bring you up to speed, like, he was their big MLE signing in this offseason. They don't play. He doesn't play for basically the first 42 games coming back from, like, a core injury. It's not 42, but, like, 30-something. He plays 14 games, and then they trade him back to his old team for five second-round picks. And, like, I kind of texted you, like, I understand the logic. Like, it's not, like, the worst thing in the world. Like, you kind of pointed out Peyton was a little bit of a redundancy on this team. Like, it's like, all right, a third guard who can defend, like, what – like, you know what I mean? Like, they overpaid him a little bit. He gets hurt. I get it. So, like, my thought is, like, all right, they maybe just were, like, let's take a mulligan on this, get five – second rounders continue to build up the war chest we don't get that much worse so I see it from that perspective but like what it really just illuminated to me is like and I said this at in the preseason like I kind of had this dire take on the Blazers in the preseason where I was like what is the point like what is the point of this team right like what is this (laughs) team trying to accomplish right because for years I was kind of this optimist, right? Or like I tried to, like, I think if there's a theme to our NBA analysis, it's like pragmatism, right? Like trying Mm. to really take everything in the context of like, what is this team trying to accomplish? You know, understanding that only one team makes the championship every year, like balance, you know? And I like blaze this blazer run was fun. Like making the six to the, fourth seed every year was fun watching Damian Lillard be really good at basketball is fun but it's like the last couple years and post CJ trade it's like you're not a six seed anymore you're like in literally the worst possible spot which is the play-in like you are Wizards West so and that's not that's to me a materially different place to be So, and like, you know, Damian Lillard signed this huge extension. So it's like, what is the point here? Right? Like, and like, that's kind of what I said this year, this season. And I mentioned Wembenyama hanging over the whole thing. And I was like, if this is where you are, you need to face kind of a hard decision. Right? Like, which is like, is there one more iteration of this team around Dame or is it time to kind of look around and maybe think like it's had a good run. He's had a good run. He's one of the, he's a top two player in the history of the franchise. He loves being here, but it might be best for both parties to sort of get out of this morass. Right. And, you know, the first 15 games of the season, unfortunately there was some fool's gold because it was like, Oh, they're playing well, they're defending, blah, blah, blah. But then sort of this fatigue injuries, I don't think Chauncey Villas is a particularly good coach thing fit in and they've, and they've started to slide. So it's like, here we are at the trade deadline and like sort of the Gary Payton trade, like just brings home this, like, what is the point? Right? Like the Josh Hart trade, I sort of got because it's like, all right, you can maybe have it both ways where you like sort of, make these fringe moves and like build up for something. You know what I mean? Like maybe Cronin feels like if you can quietly accumulate enough first round picks, there's some move like that'll emerge in the off season that can improve them or what have you. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, it's – this was – the the Peyton trade to me illuminated. It's like, wow, this was a missed opportunity. Like, there's a part of me that's like, you could have – in a lack of sellers, like, you could have, like, kind of tanked one more time. Like, you could have taken multiple moves. You could have obviously, like, traded Dame, which was probably never going to happen. But, like, you could have traded – like Grant's looked, Jeremy Grant's looked good at, in Portland, but it's like, do you really want to like? He could walk. Do you really want to sign him to like a big extent, like to a big deal? I don't know. So like, you know, there's a, you could have traded Grant and and Simons and kind of tried to get into the bottom five of the draft and, and like take one more shot at rebuilding this team, like you know. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. Like they just kind of made. They just got slightly worse put a couple things in their pocket and, and moved on. So there is just this sense of impending doom hanging over me sort of, and I'm not quite sure what comes next. I will say in my sort of will Dame be traded meter, I have always sort of been on the side of he's staying, Never, but there is a part of me that wonders like looking ahead. It's like, the way the rest of the season is like, let me try and tie it back to the trade deadline. You can't go to Damian Lillard after this trade deadline and be like, we tried to make the team better. Right. Yeah. It's pretty much impossible to argue that. So what you're selling him on what, and the way the season is headed, the result is going to be kind of like what, like, you know what I mean? It's going to be meh. So, is he okay with meh? Maybe. But if he's not, you know, I I could see I, I wouldn't blame him at this point for for looking to, to move on, which so I don't know if I can like I can't come up with some strong statement to tie all of that up, so I'll just throw it to you, but that's sort of my temperature check right now. Well, I feel like I'm joining you with my Nets fandom as well. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Being like the 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 lukewarmness for both of us has just been like permeating for both of us. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the net the Nets are just like in a blast state. The the Blazers and are in a blast state. It's just like yeah. I, I think obviously the best course of action was was like all right we probably should be tanking for Wembenyama because that's probably the only realistic path for them forward in terms of getting a legitimate star player next to Dame because they don't have enough assets to... And maybe this is a product of Dame being that good. Yeah, and I mean he's been lighting it up over the last month. I I didn't really mention that he's playing still incredibly good basketball, which is kind of part of my. It's like well, his value when you look at like his age and his value, like it feels like this, maybe this year and the next. You know what I mean? Like he's still Mm -hmm. good, but it's like how much longer is this really going to last? You know? Yeah, and I think that. Like, ultimately, last year was probably the draft where they probably were – like, if they got someone like Paolo Bancaro. Yeah. Like, instead of Shaden Sharp. So, like, if they got some lottery luck and they weren't 
at number seven and they got number one, like then it just kind of changes their fortunes. And this year it, it almost seems like they're going to be too good to even have a realistic shot at getting number one, unless they get ridiculously lucky um, to get Wambinyama. So this is the middle that they're like the purgatory that they're stuck in. And it's not like, like, and I think people get really hung up on like, Oh, if you're not going for the championship or you're not trying to win a championship, you're not really trying at all because there is some value in, in being decent, but at the same time, someone like Dame kind of deserves a shot at, going for a championship and it's yeah it's like ultimately ultimately like it's weird to say this but dame is just good enough to bring this team to like fringe playoff contention uh yeah especially with like the playing game and all that that goes into it that like if it's just dame and a bunch of like solid to decent rotation pieces he'll pretty much get them around like the 500 mark and it's kind of uh bared out the past couple of years that way but like that's what makes it so exciting to see like the potential of him being paired with a second star and that just will never it just doesn't seem like it'll ever happen in portland because they'll just never be bad enough to tank to either develop the star or they don't have enough assets to to like cobble together to get a second star to go to Portland. Like I just don't know who that who that like realistic second piece would be next. Yeah. Game. Yeah. No, I and, agree. And like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. And I was I was gonna just wrap up and say, and that's like the unfortunate part of it. All. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think you hit on a key difference, like, and why my mood has somewhat shifted with like there kind of had been an idea lingering around this team in previous iterations. Like, and maybe it was overly optimistic. Maybe it wasn't, but it was like, all right, they're still at the point where like, if remember they made the Western conference finals, like there was still this feeling like pre CJ trade. And I don't think treated trading CJ was wrong. It, it was fine because the, it, they had been at this point when they traded CJ, but like those couple last couple years pre CJ trade, it was like, well, maybe the right thing emerges or like maybe a couple, they felt like the point where like a couple bounces could go their way and maybe they can make a run. It's not that way anymore. And like you said, they're the vi- the amount of viable paths forward just don't really seem to be there at this point. So I don't know. We're stuck in purgatory, but to wrap, which seems to be a theme. It seems like we're leaving this podcast with both of our fandoms in a sense of purgatory. However, I will say if I'm going to be stuck in purgatory, talk about the NBA. I'm glad it's with you, buddy. So appreciate it. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. So appreciate it. Of course we went long. Uh, what, what else did you expect from us? So yeah. Um, thanks Andrew for coming on to the pod and uh, we got to do this again soon. Once like um, I think post all-star break, like once like the games start coming back and like uh, sure. Post NFL, NFL definitely yeah. will, right. will ramp up. I feel like we usually peak, like we usually preview the playoffs. I feel like right, we right. have, 
pretty good pre-playoff take. So at the very least at that point, you know. Quick uh, NFL um, pick. Sure. For the Super Bowl this weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm on the Chiefs, man. I'm on the Chiefs. Me too. Um, me too. It's one of these things, you know what this reminds me of? I know we. this is just us. We can pretend we're talking off the podcast because if yeah. anyone listens to this, they're not. But, it, it, you know, this reminds you of that rams Pat Super Bowl a little bit. Like, the Rams were favored in that game. And I remember being on the Rams, like, I first started. And it was, like, this idea of, like, wow, this team looks really good and blah, blah, blah. And I think I've learned, like, just go with – I'm just going with the Chiefs and going with Mahomes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the Eagles are a good team, whatever. Like, I'm just not overthinking it. I think a lot of people are overthinking it, and I'm just going to try and not over overthink it here. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I, there's not much else to add for me. I'm just going Mahomes. Yeah. Like, Mahomes, yeah. I think, is better than Hurts, and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. And I, I was yeah. a little surprised that they're underdogs, but I guess like overall, I think I most of the money's on the. I think most people are on the are on the Eagles. So once again, yeah. it's well, you know, it's like the Mahomes being injured sort of thing, and the Eagles have rolled, you know. And there's definitely yeah. a like they haven't played anybody. Who have they like? They ain't played nobody. Paul thing you can do for them that probably is factoring mm-hmm. into my liking the Chiefs also. But you know, we'll see. I think it's yeah. one of those times where, like, if you get the chance to take them as underdogs, like, if you get the chance to kind of make this kind of common sense play, I, I think it's a, it's worth taking, kind of, and that's that's what I'm doing here. So, we'll see. I'm going to be financially invested in it, not to a large amount, but enough yeah. to, to make it fun. So, but it's something, never do it for free. So let me take you back to where it all began. Just me and my room. 